Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tiny DevOps Podcast, where we talk about Dev and Ops for small teams. Today, I'm really excited to have special guest Brian Finster here, who has uh, helped, I guess, co-author a minimum viable CD document, which we're going to talk about today, uh, to introduce that to you and talk about uh, what it's for and, and how you might benefit from it. Uh, welcome, Brian. Thanks for coming on. Uh, do you mind introducing yourself briefly a little bit? Tell us what, uh, how you got involved in CD and, and what kind of work you do. Uh, yes, I, I got involved with continuous delivery um, several years ago when we were trying to pilot it at Walmart. Um, I was in supply chain. Um, working on how do we <clears throat> take a, a really large entangled giant mess that delivered every quarter and how can we deliver that every two weeks and ultimately how do we deliver it even faster than that. And so uh, learned uh, learned on the job. Um, I've been also learned that it was a much better way to live in that process. Um, better outcomes for us as developers and also for the business. And so I've been working ever since then to try to get everybody else on board. Great. And are you still with Walmart now? No, I left Walmart after 19 years. Uh, I joined a scrappy little company called Defense Unicorns that's working with the, the uh, U.S. Air Force to on uh, Platform One. And are you able to implement CD there as well? A Platform One is uh, supposed to be a secure CD platform. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm actually, uh, along with helping them uh, grow. I'm also working on a tool for the platform and we deliver changes to that very frequently, multiple times a day. Very nice. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on. Today we, we want to talk about, or I want to talk about uh, minimumcd.org, uh, which is the home of this minimum viable CD uh, document that you and others have put together. But before we dive too much into what's in the document, would you tell us how this document came about? I understand you were at a conference not long ago and uh, maybe just tell us the story of how this document uh, was born. Yeah, so uh, I was speaking at DevOps Enterprise Summit, and uh, you know, and I also I frequently talk about continuous delivery to either on LinkedIn or multiple places. And I was sitting at the bar with several other people, and we were talking about some of the misunderstandings people have around a continuous delivery. And uh, and I was talking a little bit about the history I'd seen, where you had. People who were trying to execute continuous delivery, you had, you know, leadership saying, oh, everyone, we have a goal, everyone's going to be doing continuous delivery. And then they roll out a, a half-baked implementation to teams that haven't done it yet, and things fall apart. And so that could be anything from now you have, you're doing continuous delivery because you have a, a pipeline, right? You have build and deploy automation. Um or you're you're delivering very frequently, but you're not testing, you know, or you're using uh, GitFlow, or you've got a hotfix process, you know, all of these things, right? And um, it's damaging to the teams. It's damaging to trying to get people to implement CD when they say, oh, no, CD is too dangerous because of this, this, this. We decided that what we really needed to do was just codify in every single context what are the minimum behaviors that would give you the benefits that we know can happen from continuous delivery? And not as a, um, you're not good enough to do CD, but if you solve these problems, 
This will make your team and your organization better. You'll have a better life, right? Mm -hmm. And and so we we spent several sessions at the bar uh, in Birds of Feather uh, conversations trying to hammer out the absolute bare minimum that this is always true, whether you're delivering to an air-gapped network or to the cloud, uh, app store, whatever. That if you do these behaviors, this would be what would we would consider the minimum for continuous delivery so that you would start to see those benefits. That took us uh, about two days of those sessions and uh, started with Google Doc that we published it to GitHub, uh, starting getting people to sign on that they agree. And four days later, we had Dave Farley's signature on there, which was made us very happy because, you know, he literally wrote the book. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's that's quite an endorsement, then, if you can get the 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 man himself to sign the, the document, right? For sure. Maybe, let's take a step back here and talk about what is CD, um, uh, at, at more of a conceptual level rather than the details of the document right now. Uh, what What is continuous delivery? Maybe what's continuous deployment? How do they relate to each other? Um, and what are the benefits that these practices can bring to your team that you didn't see happening with these with these bad implementations? Well, at a very high level, continuous delivery is the ability to release the the latest changes on demand uh, that you're always in a releasable state, so that for any reason or no reason at all, you can deploy. Continuous deployment is just the next evolution of that, where the latest changes you make will be released immediately. Uh, I have in my past had applications I've built where we had both kinds of pipelines running with continuous deploy in the back end and continuous delivery in the front end uh, just to control the feature release that way. So what are the benefits that this provides then to a team? Uh, why would you want to do these things? Uh, primarily it's stability. With the ability to get rapid feedback on every single change, that that change isn't breaking anything, um, that means that we have a, high, a much higher level of confidence in our quality. We also can react rapidly if we have a stability problem in production by rolling forward and addressing it. Um, if we it, and from my perspective, you know, I spent my career uh, building high availability, twenty four seven, you know, really expensive downtime applications. And with continuous delivery, when you have that confidence, that means that outages at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're all tired and uh, want to go back to bed are shorter and safer to resolve. So uh, I already mentioned the website. It's minimumcd.org. Uh, if you're uh, interested in looking at the, the document yourself, it's fairly short. It's easy to read. It's a little bit longer than the Agile Manifesto, but probably shorter than the Agile Principles. <laughs> so, uh, so somewhere in that range. It's a fairly digestible document. At the high level, you talk about, um, I mean, it starts with continuous delivery and, and then continuous integration and trunk-based development. W what do you see, how, how are continuous integration and continuous delivery uh, related to each other? I mean, we always talk about CICD as though it's a single noun, but uh, more of a technical level, what's the, what's the relationship between these two concepts? Well, they nest. I mean, continuous delivery is an extension of continuous integration. Continuous integration, you're trying to get rapid feedback uh, on your changes uh, and let that talk to other developers' code, make sure that that code is releasable. Uh, continuous delivery is adding on additional gates to verify your artifact can be released and ultimately release it. And so they are 
you don't have to say CI/CD because CD is an extension of CI. It's just continuous delivery. It contains all of these disciplines. So that that's a, a nice shortcut for everybody listening. You can stop saying CI slash CD and just type CD because they have three characters every time you want to talk about this. Yeah, and if you ask Dave Farley about it, he'll rant about it too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've observed many times that people also ha often have the wrong impression of CI, which I, I think is similar to the arguments you're making here about CD. Yeah. And that is, if you get to a room with a hundred developers and you say, "How many of you are using CI?" Probably ninety will raise their hand, and then you start really drilling down and asking, "So, how many of you have feature branches that live at most twenty-four hours?" And half the hands go down. And then you ask, how many of you have multiple developers working on the same feature branch? And another half go down. And, and you, you drill down, and like two people's hands are left over that are actually doing continuous integration. And there's this, I, I perceive, I, I, I would love to hear your uh, response. I perceive that there's this problem that we see a CI tool, a pipeline, and think that is CI. And if you have the pipeline in place, then you've accomplished all that there is to do with CI. And and it's I think that you're saying that we have the same problem with CD. You have a C CD pipeline in place, and you think you're done. Am, am I on the right track here? Yeah, uh, very much so. And and I've seen that repeatedly. Oh, we do CI because we have Jenkins. You know, no, no, no Jenkins is just the tool. CI is behavior. And you're right. I mean, the the discipline of the true behavior of CI is where you get the benefits from. You don't get the benefits just because you have automation to run your tests. And it really takes the you know the lessons that you have to learn to break code down small enough so that you can have branches that I, you know code I I wrote today goes on the trunk today, and uh, as far as I know is releasable. Uh, it, it's it's critical. And this is the thing is that people if they keep aiming for the wrong target they never see the benefit and then it's just oh it's more buzzwordy stuff like you know that agile and DevOps stuff right. Well, this is this is a real engineering discipline. This isn't a this isn't a, a, you know a, a principles. This, this isn't um, you know vague things. This is an actual engineering discipline that we have to be good at. So, if somebody goes to to read this document and they they discover that they're not doing minimum viable CD yet, they they're missing several of the points here. What should they do? How, how do they respond to to this? You know, uh, I think I, I would hope that they did the same thing that we did originally. We were trying to learn how to do continuous delivery because we had, you know, pipelines. We had automation available to us. And literally um, on that very first team, I wrote down, you know, the rules for continuous integration. Just start there, right? Not even delivery, just continuous integration. And then every day, why can't we do this? What's the next problem we need to solve? And then we just hammer through the list of problems to solve until we could do that. And then for, and then further on, all right, now why can't we deploy multiple times a day? Let's solve that problem. And then we just hammered through that list. And some of it was internal to the team, some of it was external to the team. And we just hammered through it. And, uh, you know, having that conversation and using this as the focal point for a continuous improvement process instead of, well, you know, our meetings are too long. Okay, I mean, we that, that, that's great. But what are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to deliver better. So using this as, as the tool for continuous improvement, uh, I found very effective, both on that first team and, and then on when I was uh, uh, leading the DevOps Dojo at Walmart. Look at it as, as since this is the minimum, we're not doing it. Um, we, you know, we don't need to feel bad. We just need to feel bad if we stop before we are.
that, that's really important. Don't feel bad if you're not doing this. Uh, it's a it's a it's a goal. Uh, just because you aren't there yet doesn't mean that you're that you're a bad team or a bad person or a bad manager. Just improve. Work on improvement, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. So, uh, continuous integration, you say, or continuous delivery builds on and extends continuous integration. And then next down on the list, you have trunk-based development. Um, is that the same relationship? Yeah. If you look at all, if you look at any of the literature on continuous integration, it'll say that you should be doing trunk-based development. Uh, Paul Hammond actually wrote a book recently um, called Trunk-Based Development, and he shows that he shows that relationship that that CI depends on trunk-based development. And I've had people tell me they're doing CI and they're using a complicated branching structure. And, you know, they're not really integrating the code uh, and they're not verifying, uh, or they're not verifying they have a releasable artifact because they're integrating to a developed branch, but they're not releasing the developed branch. And the build on the trunk is a different artifact than what they're building on the developed branch. And if you're doing that continuous integration flow at a branch that's not the trunk, all you're doing is adding an extra merge that adds an extra manual touch point that adds an extra place where we can create defects uh, without any added value. Now, I have a lot of people tell me, well, we want to make sure the trunk is always releasable and it's got to be clean. Your tests make sure it's clean, right? That's how you make sure it's clean. And so when you're confident that you're testing well, which it should be the goal, what are you doing with this extra merge, this extra thing to inject defects into the, the delivered artifact? There are two ways, broadly speaking, to do trunk-based development, if I'm not mistaken. The one is just short-lived feature branches, possibly accompanied by pull requests. And the other is you literally push directly to trunk. Does this depend on either one of those, or, or do, both, do both approaches work? No, both are valid. Um, one requires more effort than the other. Um, and I've talked to, to uh, Dave about this a little bit because he's a real big advocate of going directly to the trunk. And, you know, I've, I've worked in environments where compliance was a really important thing, and we had to have auditable code review for, for audit. Um, and so we would mandate that you use branch and merge instead of direct to trunk. Now, there are ways to also get that audible, that audible trail going direct to trunk. It just depends on how you set up how you're capturing that and what gates you put in the pipeline to make sure that, you, that that's actually happening. So either one is viable. Uh, I think that if you're going direct to trunk, you really should be pair programming 100%. Uh, if you're not pair programming, you really need to branch and merge because then you have a, a good code review process. But uh, pair programming is going to get you delivered faster. It just feels slower because there's fewer, fewer keyboards, I guess. All right. So uh, we've, we've kind of worked our way backwards from continuous delivery to continuous integration to trunk-based development. Um, are there any other foundations that we build on, or is that, is that kind of the starting point? You, you really should test your code. <laughs> I mean, you can't even start this. If you have the attitude that I'm a coder and someone else tests, you just can't even, you can't, right? Uh, Trunk-based development absolutely 100% depends that you're testing your code. And what if you're in a place now where you're not testing your code? Maybe you only have, maybe you have 0% or, or well under 50% test coverage on your entire project. What's the first step? You need to build up that test suite first, or can you start with trunk-based development and just do tests maybe for new features, or, or how do you approach that problem? 
Yeah, I've lived this problem personally, uh, and uh, I've I've done a lot of research on how to help my team and other teams get past this problem. You've got a hundred percent untested code base that's running in production. Okay, what's tested in production? You know it works because it's working in production. It's dangerous to go back and try to backfill tests because the code was written in a uh, in a way where it was testing was not it was not architected to be tested, um, and so you have to refactor the code to test it. And refactoring without tests is incredibly dangerous. And so the the process you use is we have a working agreement. We will no longer push untested code. One hundred percent. If we come through a code review and it's untested. It's rejected. Um, then the next step is when we get a feature in and we start breaking things down, we document how it's going to work in testable acceptance criteria. And then we use that to, to slowly refactor the code to be testable. So we refactor the portion of the code that requires the change using those acceptance criteria to verify it's behaving the way we want it to work. And then slowly over time, you start building out tests. Now, you can do trunk-based development just with that working agreement and uh, a focus on, uh, well, you might want to practice some testing first if you don't even know how to test. But with that working agreement and some knowledge on how to do good functional testing, um, th that's, that's all that's really required. And, and that was my personal journey as well. I mean, we were working for years where testing was, you know, uh, in production, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we had to get really disciplined at it if we were going to be rolling continuous delivery out across that area. And so we had to dig in and really focus on teaching each other how to test. At what point, so suppose you you have a team that's doing manual testing. Um, maybe there's some automated testing, but there's also a manual element of testing going on. Is there any room for that in a CD environment? And if so, how what would that look like? I'd say not not manual uh, functional testing, right? So uh, there's always room for exploratory testing, usability testing. Uh, those things should be happening in parallel to the pipeline and not as de as deploy gates. Um, if you are using manual testing for a deploy gate, you really need to automate that and get it out of the way. And those auto the, and you're gonna the first step that you're gonna probably automate that is with end to end tests, which are going to be flaky. And then your next priority is to start tackling the flakiness in those tests and get some uh, a test suite that you actually trust. Um, and and I'll and I've had people say, well, humans can test better than machines. That's just wrong. If you're running a test script as a human, you can't repeat it. A machine can actually repeat it. And if you find a defect in a test suite, in a test script, you can fix the defect once instead of hoping everybody else doesn't implement that defect manually. And so getting uh, your critical, and I'd, I'd say not fully, your critical paths tested within the end and then start building out a real effective test suite that doesn't rely on end-to-end -end testing to get it done. What would you say to a team that, that has some unique testing requirements? Uh, for, for example, I was talking to somebody recently that builds uh, software related to bicycles. And their testing suite involves physically riding a bicycle around the neighborhood and looking at GPS inputs and stuff like that. Um, I mean, in, in principle, I can imagine ways to, to automate that, but it's a huge undertaking. Uh, 
would you just say that CD just isn't possible in that situation, or or is there some wiggle room there for 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 weird corner cases like that? Well, I mean, that should just be a continuous process, uh, you know, and then you're going to have a controlled release to the, the you know, your test users, right? Your your alpha testers, you have a controlled release of the pipeline. The, the main thing you're trying to get with continuous delivery is feedback. It doesn't mean that you have to ship every single second to an end user, but you need some sort of real life feedback to verify that you're testing correctly. The only test for a test is production. And delivering to those people riding those bicycles um, is is an important test for production. Now, you want to put some balance there. You don't want to say, okay, we're going to spend the next three months riding around on bicycles, right? I mean, how fast can we get this feature out to a broader audience to get better feedback? And that's what it's all about. I need feedback as rapidly as possible to get the quality where I need it. So supposing that your team has now accomplished uh, minimum viable CD, um, is it okay to stop there? Are they done? Or, or what's, what's the next step? What, what, do you, what do you do from there? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, the, I mean, the, the goal there is just to show you this, this is possible. It's to get you over the hump. You know, teams just don't believe continuous delivery does what, CD will, uh, what we say CD does until they get past the hump. And this is just to get you over that hump. Your goal from then on is hardening the pipeline. You know, because, you know, the very first thing you should do when you're focusing on continuous delivery isn't even to automate everything. It's to write down what defines releasable for us. What do we have to verify to make it releasable? Then you start executing the discipline, you know, get to the minimum level and then start and then focus on how do we add automated gates to verify releasability. And then you deploy and you find out what you did wrong and then you harden the pipeline. If you are a, an actual product team and you really want to be truly agile and not just do agile ceremonies, then what you're going to do is you're going to deliver, get feedback from production, and your primary product isn't even the, the thing that you're delivering to production. It's the pipeline. We're going to harden our pipeline and ensure that our artifacts are, are truly production worthy before we let them go. That pipeline's job is not to deploy. The pipeline's job is to prevent bad things from deploying, and you need to focus on that all the time. And so you start adding things. You know, you, you start performance testing. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And what sort of chaos testing could we do in the pipeline and not even in production? Um, how do we verify our APIs more effectively? You know, and how do we... We've got these flaky tests. We can't have flaky tests. How do we re-architect those tests so that they are no longer flaky, drive them down into a lower, faster test, um, uh, or remove them entirely because they're just not giving us reliable feedback, right? And so they just continuously improve how we're delivering. Suppose somebody says to you, Brian, this is great, but we're doing 15 deployments per day and we're not doing, we're, we're using Gitflow and we're, we're we don't have uh, automated tests yet, but we're still doing 15 deploys per day. So obviously we're doing continuous deployment. How would you respond to somebody who says something like that? Yeah, but is your life good? I mean, are you sleeping well at night? Uh, how many hours are you working a day? How much stress are you under when you, when you go and do that deploy, right? I mean, how much, how much toil's involved? Can you confidently deploy at 5 p.m. and then take your significant other out while also being on call, right? If I mean, if if, if none, of, if you can't answer, oh yes, 
then I would say that you really need to improve something. And if you say, oh, yeah, we can absolutely do those things, then please tell everybody else in the world how, because I haven't met anybody who can. Hopefully all listeners will go uh, look at this document. Um, how can how can others participate? This is on GitHub. I see there's an improve this page link. Uh, if people are interested in, in participating and improving this, what can they do? Uh, so we've had several people give contributions. One of the things is we're now translated into Finnish, Spanish, uh, Italian, and French. Uh, if you want to submit a translation, please do. Um, you can go on and say, you know what, I agree with this. I want to add my signature. And unlike other things I've seen out there with signatures, there's not a list of we created it and all you other people can sign it. Um, everybody's equal on here. Some of the creators never got around to it, and so they're pretty far down the list. And, and so it, the sequence of, of signatures has nothing to do with how important you are, except for, honestly, Dave Farley's. I moved his to the top. Uh <laughs> Yeah, if you want to have a discussion about it, open an issue and let's have a conversation. We've had several conversations about people wanting to improve things, and there were, there were things that, yes, we agree that those are good ideas, and those are things that you should absolutely do, but they're not the absolute bare minimum for continuous delivery. We've had other people suggest wording changes, and we, and we discuss it. We, yeah, you know what? That would make a good change. I'll say that we're very careful about changing the primary document of the minimums. Um, because people agree that that is true. And so we have a, a very careful process for modifying that. We discuss it intensely. But we also have a page for you know resources. If you have a resource that you really think is awesome, send a pull request, add the resource, right? Let's, you know, as a community, let's grow that we agree that this is what continuous delivery should look like. And these are the good things because it took us years to learn how to do this and to find the good resources versus the bad resources. And, and this is really what we're trying to do is share. You don't have to go on that journey and start from scratch. We're trying to jumpstart you ahead so that we can all be on a level playing field. I'd love to hear some of your the common objections you've heard to CD that you that you aim to, to address with this document. Well, you know, one of the most common, I think, is that uh, either we're too busy or too complex, right? Um, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with people thinking it's too hard to start. And this was, that was part of it. Let's just, this is the simple, right? This is the baseline behaviors. There's, there's not a maturity model to it, though you can, you can look at this as a checklist. You know, we're not, we are not doing these things. Um, but doing all those things in no way makes you good. It just makes you minimum. But the, that's the, really the primary objection is that, well, we're a special case and continuous delivery doesn't apply to us. It absolutely applies in every case. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking right now at, at things we're trying to do for how do we do CD on a submarine that's underway, hmm. right? So uh, I've done continuous delivery on giant enterprise systems. I've done continuous delivery on small things deploying to the cloud. Um, and uh, I've, I've seen CD being done to embedded systems. Um, I, I have yet to see a case where I can't say, okay, well, I know how to architect a pipeline to get this done. And, and, uh, and CI is always, always true. Well, here, here's one that I hear a lot. Um, our end users need to be informed before changes happen. 
How, how do you, okay. how do you com- make that compatible with CD? Feature flags. Uh, you know, we're trying to, uh, we need to get changes into production to verify that they'll run in production. We need to get feedback as rapidly as possible. Um, but we also have the reality of that marketing is a thing and we need to control releases so that, um, so that we can have a launch of something. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of the applications you have on your phone have features that you're not seeing. Other people are seeing them. And then they have a marketing release and they'll release new features. And that's, that's just how it works is that you, if, you know, the minimum of CD doesn't include uh, decoupling release from deploy. I mean, yeah, release from deploy. Um, but you should. That should be something early on you're looking at is we need to be able to deploy a change without exposing the change. And uh, again, that works in every environment. That's, that answer uh, addresses another one that I hear a lot, which is we're working on a big feature that is not ready to be deployed yet. Well, and, well yes, it's, that's the solution for that. But I think there's more of a mindset shift that has to happen as well. You should be terrified of, of a big change. Big changes are not a thing. You don't do giant refactorings. You don't do giant feature releases. The size of change is going to be directly proportional to the size of the explosion uh, when you when things break, because things will break. And uh, I've I've had this conversation before with like InfoSec. You know, when do I need to go have a security review of my application? Well, after you do a big change. Okay, so never. I never have to have another security <laughs> review, which again goes, uh, I think it's a whole other subject about security theater, yeah. but I never have to have another security review because I don't make big changes. I'm, uh, I'm evolving my application in very small steps every single day. And it, that's also an engineering problem that you need to solve is that you may have to make a big change uh, that could be breaking um, you might have to like upgrade a, a version of your baseline architecture. Um, and you need to figure out how to do that in small steps very, very frequently to make sure that you're always releasable. What do you say to this person who says our tests are too slow? It, it takes eight hours to run a test suite or something like that. Yeah. Um, I would say that you need to focus on improving your pipeline, that you should use that pipeline duration as a a key metric for the health of your delivery, and that you should focus on why are tests taking so slow, uh, taking so much time? How do we re-architect our tests so that they're faster? Are we over-testing? Are we testing uh, a whole bunch at the end instead of testing things more at the beginning? Is our architecture so terrible that, that the only way we can f- effectively test is with end-to-end tests? So how do we decouple the architecture around clean domain boundaries so that we can test more efficiently and, and release better, right? Because what will happen, and this is, this is a huge risk, if it takes us eight hours to release a change and we have a high availability system and we have something that has to be fixed or there's a security breach and there's something that has to be fixed now, then what's going to happen is you'll bypass all your quality processes to get it out and put yourself in a worse situation. That you need to have that fast pipeline, not just so that you get fast feedback, but so that you can fix production fast with the safest possible method. Good. I think I'm through my list of questions. Uh, What else would you like to add? Uh, The floor is yours. You know, I, I think I just want to reiterate that 
I've been a developer for a lot of years. Uh, I have not stopped developing. I, I just talk about my experiences. Uh, I've done it for small, well, relatively small companies and for, you know, the third largest army in the world, Walmart. Um, I've, you know, running the dojo at, at Walmart, I saw many, many, many uh, different use cases that a lot of people have to go to different companies to see. And uh, I've never seen anything where continuous delivery wasn't the right answer. Now, is that confirmation bias? I mean, maybe, but except that we've actually implemented it in those, in, in those situations, and it made the team's life better, universally. So uh, if anybody can show me a situation where this is not the right answer, please do. Uh, I'd love to be educated, but I've yet to see it. Uh, and I like a challenge. I'm happy to go and talk about how we can architect a pipeline for that and change the team's behavior to make everything better. But uh, I'd, I'd be happy for someone to stump me because I'd learned something. Lovely. So if somebody has that challenge ready for you, how can they get a hold of you to, to challenge you? Oh, they can reach me on, uh, on LinkedIn. Happy to talk to them. Uh, also, I've got uh, a... Um, a, a, a series of blogs that are kind of light rants uh, called Five Minute DevOps on Medium. And uh, so if you just go to bdfenced.medium.com, you can, you can see my blogs uh, out there. And I, I talk about lots of different topics around delivery, including team organization. And um, I've got some things based off of real life that are fun. Wonderful. Well, we'll have links to both your LinkedIn then and your Medium blog in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on, Brian. This was a, a good conversation. I think it's really important uh, to, to draw attention to the, the, the truth behind this otherwise fuzzy concept of continuous delivery and a thousand other buzzwords in, in our industry. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, John. And I, and I do agree. I think the things that aren't fuzzy should not be fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Everybody will have links uh, to the, the document and uh, the books and uh, Brian's contact info in the show notes. Until next time. This episode is copyright 2021 by Jonathan Hall. All rights reserved. Find me online at jhall.io. Theme music is performed by Riley Day. <laughs>